You're listening to the Packernet Podcast Network. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome once again to the Packernet Podcast. I am your host and resident panelist, as always, Ryan Schlipp. Check us out online, packernet.com. Find me on Twitter, pack underscore daddy. So I want to talk about something that's a little bit off base. Um, it's kind of out of my wheelhouse, but I found it interesting and I dug into it and I don't know the answer, which is why we probably shouldn't talk about it today, but I just feel like it. Let's let's reel it back to uh, the defensive coordinator situation. It's It's funny because I kept hearing... People talk about Halfley running a 4-3 even front. Usually you hear 4-3, but occasionally people are like 4-3 even, 4-3 even. What the heck is 4-3 even? So the first time I dug into it, what I found was, well, odd is like 3-4 and and even is 4-3, right? Even being 4 and odd being 3. And that is a common way to use that. But I'm like, well, that's kind of redundant and stupid, but okay. I guess people like feeling like they're smarter by throwing in extra words or something. I don't know. And so a little bit of time passed and I heard somebody else say it. And I thought, let me just double check because I don't know. And it turns out there is a secondary usage for calling something an even front that makes more sense because it's not just based on being redundant. It's actually something entirely different. I'm guessing most of you, many of you have come to hear things like over and under, you know, 4-3 over fronts and under fronts. It's just kind of shading to one side or the other, as opposed to being, you guessed it, even. So if I'm not mistaken, and I may be, maybe everybody just keeps saying even front, which just means 4-3, which is stupid. And if you're doing that, stop it. It's like when people say at 4.30 a.m. in the morning, bro, a.m. covered it, okay? You pick one or the other. You say 4.30 a.m. or you say 4.30 in the morning. You do not say 4.30 a.m. in the morning. There's no p.m. in the morning, and there's no a.m. in the afternoon. Stop it. Or like my wife constantly says, stop and go light. Like, nah, stop light, sufficient. It's not really redundant, but it's just not necessary. Stop light covers it. We get it. The light stops you. The go is sort of the default position, but it, it doesn't really matter. I mean, we don't need to get into it. What about the other light? The, sl- the stop, slow, and, and go light. Anyways, I, I did a lot of digging, and part of my digging involved talking to the robot, which in and of itself fully understands sometimes they what they call hallucinate, which is if, the, if it isn't quite sure, it'll just give you an answer very confidently that isn't true. So I try to look into it, and then I try to verify that in other places. One of the reasons that I want to bring it up is that I've mentioned to you a few times, especially when it comes to Tavondre Sweat, a guy in the NFL draft that is a massive, I mean, how big is, um, I don't know. Let's just call him, I actually think he's bigger than that. I want to look it up so I don't sound stupid. 
Whew, yeah, I was about to be way off. 362 pounds. I knew he, that's the thing. I was going to be like, he's like 340. And I was like, wait a minute. I thought it was something massively absurd. 362 pounds. And so I thought, yeah, I don't know if you generally want that on a 4-3 team. I know on a 3-4, and even even teams in a 3-4 are getting away from this. But if you got a 3-4 team, you get your nose tackle, and a nose tackle will be massively oversized. But in a 4-3, I'm not so sure. But then uh, one of the things I mentioned on the podcast is I also know that some 4-3 teams have a nose tackle, which I never fully understood, but they'd have one defensive tackle and one nose tackle. Well, what I came to discover, which makes sense, because what is a nose tackle? A nose tackle is somebody that lines up directly over the center. Well, how does somebody line up directly over the center if you're kind of evenly distributed? You don't. It's if you're shaded to one side or the other. If you take the line evenly and you shift it, one of those two defensive tackles is going to be over the nose, meaning he's your nose tackle. Now, again, I'm I'm somewhat speculating, and on top of the speculating is the fact that I don't know if that's what people mean when they say even, and also the fact that size isn't everything, it's also function. He could be a 362-pound guy that plays like he's 320, and then none of this conversation even matters. But the point is, if you play a you know shaded technique, you shade to one side or the other, you have a nose tackle. If you don't, you still have sort of a run defender, typically. You have your three-tech and your one-tech, and your one-tech is more your run defense guy. But I, I think he's less of a nose tackle. Meaning, I think what you'll see is more of a Devontae Wyatt-Kenny Clark dynamic, where Wyatt would be the three technique, and Kenny would be the one technique, where the three technique is mostly a pure pass rusher, and the one technique is a little bit more of a run defender, but is still expected to penetrate. In other words, I don't know that Tavondre Sweat and guys like that are necessarily going to be on the docket. So, Take that for what it's worth, and if you're aware, if you can fill in any of those blanks for me, go ahead and do it. I've been racking my brain on it for quite a while now and, and double-checking and triple-checking stuff, and um, that's that's where I'm at. But it uh, and until I find out otherwise, I'm not going to be looking at the massive nose tackle guys. Now, could he still be considered a one-tech? I don't know, maybe. But in my current understanding, the, the just obscene massive, pure, pure run defenders. Like, this guy's not giving you any pass rush. He's a run defender only. I just don't know that that's a great fit. I also have this article. This is a little bit older, but again, I'm kind of pulling it back out from Bill Huber. This is from February 3rd um, over at Sports Illustrated. He goes through some of the data on Halfley's defense. And um, it's, it's kind of interesting because, you know, the entire conversation centers around aggressiveness. Very aggressive. Much, much more aggressive than Joe Barry. Well, it's kind of funny because right off the bat, the first pieces of data that you get into, it says, here are some of the numbers and the rankings in the 14-team ACC over the four-year tenure as coach as well in 2023. Now, again, granted, remember, he's not calling plays on the defense at Boston College, but still, they ranked ninth in blitz rate on passing plays. Let me reiterate, 14 teams they rank ninth. So if you rank seventh, you're right in the middle. So it's actually a below average blitz rate. They were second in blitz rate on third down, which is great. And, and it, But again, this is um, the four years he was there. That actually dropped in 2023 down to fifth. So pretty average, I guess. Goes on to say, if you were to project based on those numbers, so that the two numbers are blitz rate on pass plays, blitz rate on third down pass plays. The expectation is for the guys up front to make plays, get them into third down, and then 
get after him. It also then goes on to say, by that same metric, Joe Barry was actually more aggressive than uh, Halfley. Now, it doesn't say more aggressive, but it's pretty easy to do the math. They were number five in 2022 and number 10 in 2023. Top five and top third over the last two years in blitz rate. It goes on to say, okay, well then, never mind that. You know, okay, so maybe we're not going to blitz more, but but he's he, Joe Barry's sort of a, a, a two-shell guy, and Halfley's going to be pretty heavy on the single high. Well, even that is to some degree overinflated, right? Uh, again, I think a lot of us get this picture of Halfley is like 90% single high and Joe Barry was 90% too high, and that's just really untrue. Let me just read this paragraph again, I think. With Barry, it was predominantly a two-shell zone defense meant to take away the big play. This is uh, an article from Lombardi Avenue says, it may come as a surprise to some Packer fans, but that's not actually all that dissimilar to Joe Barry. In 2023, the Packers' defense spent most of its time in cover three. The next most popular coverage was cover one. Those are both middle field closed defenses. That's San Francisco 49er stuff. That's what the Packers did most of the time. And even I even looked over at uh, pro, uh, uh, SIS real quick. Just, again, you don't get team statistics as much, but you can still look at player stuff. So they got a bunch of different weird coverages, but let's just stick to cover one and cover two, right? They got man cover two, cover three, whatever, but just common vernacular, right? Cover two, if you look at it, how many snaps did Darnell Savage play when the defense was in cover two? The answer, 19. What about cover one? 50. Now in cover four, Darnell Savage played 68 snaps, but in cover three, he played 100. So even that massive difference is not much of a massive difference. Now, press coverage is a different animal. And again, it says, according to PFF, Boston College played press coverage 45% of the time. Packers Central did not have Green Bay Packers press man reliance. Well, PFF does have kind of that data, at least as far as the individual players are concerned. And they had... um, Jair, who was actually in man coverage less than anybody else, in man coverage 20% of the time. So that could certainly be seen as a massive difference, but there's a problem. And the issue that I see in terms of taking a massive jump from 20 to 45% man coverage is that I don't think he's going to be running man coverage that much in the NFL. Why do I say that? Well, the top two corners in San Francisco, um, as far as the usage, um, Lenoir and Charvarius Ward, 22 and 23% man coverage. That's right where Keyshawn Nixon was. That's where Ballantyne was. And again, maybe it's not like the 49ers. Like I said before, it might be closer to the Jets because they are a more man-heavy team. But even that is the low 30. Sauce Gardner, 32. DJ Reed, 32. So the jump would be from about 22 to 32% as opposed to 45%. So it's still mostly zone coverage, about 70%. And so, I, I mean, I guess I'm not trying to just trash Halfley. It has nothing to do with that. I just, I want to understand things rightly. And I'm reading an article from Bill Huber that talks about how aggressive this defense is going to be. And I'm reading it and I'm just, I'm not sold on the fact that it's going to be super aggressive. And maybe it's just coming in with too high of expectations, but there's so much misconception going on that it, do I think there's going to be more aggression? Yeah, but I think it's going to be marginal. Maybe a little bit more middle field close defense, a little bit more man coverage, but still mostly zone. 
And at the end of the day, it doesn't really matter that much. What really matters is can you call the right plays at the right time to make sure that you're countering what the offense is doing? Because that's the bigger thing. Blitzing is sometimes a good thing. Sometimes it's a terrible thing, depending on what the offense calls. Your job is to anticipate what the offense is going to do and put yourself in a, your defense in a position to best defend what the offense is doing. And that's all I really want. Now, if somebody would like to, you know, try to sell me on, no, 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 it's going to be way more aggressive, that's fine. Please let me know, because again, that's more exciting, it's more fun, it's more interesting. But I'm just, again, I'm looking at it, and it's like, okay, so he ranks kind of middle of the pack in blitzing. Great. I don't know what that's supposed to tell me. They played man coverage at a rate that no NFL team does. They played middle field close defense, which Barry did also, apparently. Now, if we go back and look at uh, the article that I referenced before, this is uh, Jack Brentnall from Lombardi Avenue. He kind of dives into this a little bit more when he talks about the single high coverage. And he's the one where I got the, the quote that says, Joe Barry ran a lot of, you know, cover one, cover three. But what he says is the difference is that Joe Barry liked to disguise it, whereas Halfley is not going to. And, and the real benefit behind that I mean, depending on which way, there's a benefit either way, depending on what we're talking about. But for Joe Barry, the benefit was you were disguising. And so you didn't really know who was going to do what. You didn't know if they were both going to stay back. Maybe one was going to drop, whatever. And usually one drop, but you didn't know which one. But if you're going to have that, you need guys that can do a little bit of everything. You need a guy that can be a middle field safety. And you need a guy that can play up in the box. For Halfley, it's like, no, we're going to just start with a guy in the middle of the field. And that's going to be the middle field guy. So we're going to have more of a traditional free safety, strong safety differentiation, meaning our free safety's job is to be a free safety and our strong safety's job is to be a strong safety, which takes a little bit of the weight off the safeties. You have a job, not all the jobs, but of course, that takes away the disguise element. Now, you can still disguise in terms of, you know, if you want to play cover one, cover three, possibly even drop a guy and make it cover two. I, I, I don't know, but I do like sort of the specialization aspect of it. I've kind of talked about it, but listen, everybody wants the guys that can do everything, and that's great, but there's only so many guys that can do everything. And usually when you find guys that are sort of um, do-everything guys, they're they're more tweeners. They're, they're kind of subpar at this, subpar at this, subpar at this, but they can sort of do all of them. And I just think it's a lot easier to find guys that are really good at this one thing and not really anything else. And obviously I say one thing, and it's it's of course more than that, but you get what I mean. And so that'll allow the Packers to specialize a little bit more and, and hopefully be able to just get some guys that are very, very good or, or at least get the best out of the guys that we have to, to just say, I want you to do that thing really well. Because I think most of the guys on our team are like most NFL players where if you have them specialize, they're going to be quite good. If you tell them they need to be good at everything, they're not going to be very good overall. So I, I, I do like this approach of saying, okay, it's, it's not necessarily more aggressive, it's different, and here's why. It does talk about at the very end, the, as far as aggressiveness, what you're going to see a lot more of is a little bit more creative pressure packages, more guys like linebackers mugging the, the line of scrimmage, maybe they stay, maybe they come, maybe they drop, you know, corner blitzes, safety blitzes, those kinds of things. I think that's where the quote-unquote aggression is going to come from, whether or not that actually materializes into more actual blitzing, I don't know, but it's going to look much more aggressive. You know, you're, you're going to see more guys pressed up on the line. You're going to see more blitzing. You're going to see just what what appears to be a more in-your-face style of defense. But I think in a practical way, a lot of the actual things that are happening are going to be kind of similar. Like I know um, 
some of the stats that Clayton has been talking about. Real quick, I'll pull these up and then we'll we'll move off of this. But Packers ran middle field closed 52% of the time, fifth most in the league. If you look at middle field open, so we're talking, you know, like too high type stuff. The Jets ranked 16th. The Packers were 26th. Starting to wonder if <laughs> if maybe that's the reason we suck so much. It's like, man, I thought this too high thing was really good. Turns out we never did it. Also goes on to say we we brought uh, four rushers 64% of the time, 25th most. Jets rushed four the most in the NFL at 80%. Packers rushed five, fifth most in the league. Jets brought five, 35th mo- for first most in the league. And I, I think a lot of that comes down to, you know, do you have the guys up front capable of doing that? But, you know, again, all, all I'm talking about, and it, bigger overarching story, it doesn't matter, right? Do something that works, call the right plays at the right time. I just, I'm really worried that this super excited pro Halfley, uh pro-aggression thing is going to turn real fast. Like so much for aggressive, so much for this, so much for that. When when you watch a defense, it looks a lot like the defense we had. And I don't even necessarily mean that Halfley specifically is is like Joe Barry because they're they're probably about as opposite as you can get. But the point is all defenses in the NFL are very similar. Or I guess I should say they're much more similar than they are different. So I guess I just want to start the train of... um. I don't want to say tamping down expectations, but sort of resetting what expectations should look like. Anyways, why don't we take a break and we'll be right back. Passion, drive, and patience. The formula for winning championships is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. Superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to make your car the MVP and bring home huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only, exclusions apply. In the hobby, it's not easy being a fan of ripping packs or repacks. We get all hyped up thinking we're going to get some high-value Jordan Love card, but with zero transparency on available cards and hit rates, it's all just a shot in the dark. Until now, introducing Slab Packs from ArenaClub.com, the only repack that provides real value, a complete view on all possible cards, and clear hit rates for each one. Now when I buy Slab Packs on Arena Club, it finally feels like I know what I'm getting. And honestly, the best thing for me and my son is the fact that we're kind of novices into this. When I walk into a card shop with my son, and a card says it costs $40, kind of just taking his word for it that that's a good value. So I appreciate the transparency on grading, as well as just getting excited about seeing what you could potentially get. Right now, you can get 10% off your first purchase by going to arenaclub.com slash packdaddy. Wow, that's crazy offer. 10% off a $400 slab pack. That's 40 bucks right there. Anyways, that's arenaclub.com slash packdaddy for 10% off your first purchase. So I am uh, just now seeing about the uh, shooting that took place. I don't have any details, so I'm not going to comment on it at this time. Um, Maybe in the third segment, 
if some more details come out. But uh, suffice it to say at this point, hoping that everybody is okay. I do see multiple casualties, but every time these things come out, um, the early reports are always wrong. So I'm going to go ahead and just hope that that isn't the case. But uh, on a lighter note, I guess, uh, one of the things I wanted to get to yesterday, this is Roto Pats, Patrick Doherty's uh, over at NBCSports.com. His season review, 2023 recap for all 32 teams. Not going to go through all these, but again, some of these were um, interesting and a little bit funny. For example, number 32, the Carolina Panthers. No winning streaks, no coach, no hope. (laughs) The Panthers traded up for the number one overall pick in 2023. They earned it the hard way for 2024. The really bad news, as you may have heard, is that it's being shipped to Chicago. It's not really funny as much as it is infuriating. Washington Commanders were 31st. Commanders ran it back. Ron Rivera ran it into the ground. New England Patriots were 30th. It was the era that could not stop ending. (laughs) They had the Cardinals at 29th. 28th, it's the Chargers, and it says reeling from their 27-point choke job in the previous year's playoffs. The Chargers never bothered to get off the bus in 2023. Giants are at 27. Titans are at 26. Falcons at 25. And then Chicago Bears at 24. Just to reiterate, for all the Bears fans that might be listening or are, you know, just passing by, I haven't listed any other NFC North teams. Also, I started from worst to best, just so I I just want to make sure that I'm very clear about what's happening right now. So for all the talk about Justin Fields is going to win MVP, defense is going to improve, DJ Moore is going to fix everything, whatever, here you sit at 24 and they even give a relatively positive review for the chicago bears which is somewhat fair the bears got better across the board improving from 3 and 14 to 7 and 10 while goosing their uh, point differential from negative 137 to negative 19 they finished on a 5 and 3 run and went 3 and 2 after their bye defeating playoff bound detroit in the process that's more or less the good part it says so why does this all feel so complicated Because Justin Fields failed to take a step forward as a passer, watching his touchdown percentage decline and his already uh, gaudy sack rate increase. Which I also don't understand. His sack rate increased. I thought you fixed the offensive line. Remember you went and got a free agent to play right guard and then you drafted that tackle in the first round, which I, I, I made the foolish comment that sometimes rookies... Don't just come into the NFL as elite football players and, and, you know, at best they become that over time. And I was told that that was not true or something like that. I don't I don't know, but I, I, I guess I'm just confused as to how his sack rate increased. I don't understand. Fields' playmaking ability remained unique. He continued to rip big plays as a runner and struck up a special connection with DJ Moore, but he answered the Bears' biggest question, is he clearly better than a potential number one pick in the negative one year after the question was positive, which was answered incorrectly, I, I would just also like to add, Your Honor. Field's second chance went the same way as the first. As a result, the Bears are back to square one at sports' most important position, even as the progress was real anywhere, everywhere else. I'll, I'll even concede all of that. That's fine. Now, just to be perfectly clear, if we view things through the prism of regression to the mean, the fact that they jumped from 3 and 14 to 7 and 10 and negative 137 point differential to negative 19 is like in my opinion, giving credit 
to a beach ball for swimming to the top of the swimming pool. You know, you drag the balls down and then you let it go and what happens? It goes to the top. I don't generally give them a lot of credit for their ability to swim, but some people might. I I could see why you would see that and say, wow, that's a powerful swimmer. I mean, so much, in fact, that it actually jumps out of the water like a dolphin sometimes. You know what I mean? I mean, it's pretty impressive stuff what beach balls can do when you put them in the water. But, I mean, they do have DJ Moore, and he looked really good, probably better than he's ever going to look because, you know, again, the whole regression of the mean thing. We know what DJ Moore is and what he isn't, and I think he is a good receiver. I don't think he is a great receiver. Um, Offensive line is pretty mid. Quarterback's going to be a rookie. Running back is whatever. Tight end situation is decent, and the defense is kind of mid. But such is life. Then at 23, they have the New York Jets. It says, it wouldn't be entirely accurate to say the Jets season ended after only one pass attempt, but you could say it never really began as heroic defensive and skilled players' efforts were wasted by Gang Green's unserious attempt to replace Aaron Rodgers. Now, I just want to pause there for just a minute because I think that there's, I think to some degree that's kind of fair. Zach Wilson is obviously horrific, but I also just don't super love Maybe I'm reading too much into it, but it just it seems to be coming from a place of like this is a really good team that had a really good plan, and then Rodgers went down, and they still had a really solid chance if they could have just gotten like a really good quarterback, which there there kind of weren't any. I mean, I guess you could say they had a chance at Flacco, but I don't know that that would have materialized for the Jets because you know he would have been in on the Jets with their offensive coordinator and whatnot, which is kind of a problem in and of itself, plus behind their offensive line, which is an even bigger problem. But we could we can pretend that that was, that was the situation. Goes on to say, how exactly was Zach Wilson or Tim Boyle the plan B for this quarterback or bust roster? Well, I think, that, I think it was Aaron Rodgers or bust, but okay. Says, you might have to ask Rodgers' ego, or maybe it really was just poor planning from a GM in Joe Douglas, whose few noticeable victories, Sauce Gardner and Garrett Wilson come to mind, are outweighed by his failures to accumulate talent in too many important places, most notably offensive line. So as I've said, this brilliant, amazing GM, um, he's got some big hits. Nothing outside the top 10 that I'm aware of, but he's got some great hits. I think he would accidentally do better than he's been doing. Robert Sala's season-long thousand-yard stare didn't exactly imbue confidence on the sideline either, but he again handled his business on the defensive side of the ball. Hope remains for 2024, but the project is hanging by uh, the threads of Aaron Rodgers' surgically repaired Achilles tendon. Yeah, that'll be that'll be an interesting storyline. At 22, Minnesota Vikings says the Vikings had four players start at least two games at quarterback and still entered Week 18 with an outside shot of making the playoffs. Maybe that's an indictment of a 14-team field, but it was quite an accomplishment for second-year coach Kevin O'Connell, who seemed to rise above the NFL's current system obsession and make the main thing the main thing. Just get your best players the ball. I think that's all fair. And I said that especially early on. Things started to deteriorate a little bit later on, but I was stunned at the fact that they could lose two of the most important pieces on their team and still continue to win football games. I didn't understand it. It did seem like once the defense started to get picked apart, that's when everything kind of crumbled. But it was impressive, and it certainly, I mean, from a realistic standpoint, from a, uh, you know, me trying to be fair standpoint, I feel like that's a team where if you put the pieces there, they're going to they're gonna figure it out. I can't say that for the Bears. Prob- maybe, I, you know, fine, give them a bunch of good players, they'll probably do stuff, but I, I don't know. But you look at the Vikings, and it's like, yeah, we, we lost our quarterback, we lost Justin Jefferson, still going to win games, though. It's like, holy crap, dude. 
says that's how Justin Jefferson cleared a thousand yards despite missing seven games how TJ Hawkinson earned a career high 960 yards and 15 appearances how this team was watchable at all with Josh Dobbs Jaron Hall and Nick Mullins taking turns spelling Kirk Cousins now you could argue argue O'Connell style throw first think later was too simplistic and all too ready to accommodate empty passing stats but even that has become a lost art in the league veering back toward the defensive side of the ball which brings us to Brian Flores, who coordinated a scarily good defense after the season's first month. The Vikings seem uh, constitutionally incapable of not being a high-wire act, but they should remain fun to watch whether or not free agent to be Kirk Cousins returns for 2024. And that all remains to be seen, too, as far as Brian Flores. Again, it started off real hot and it kind of faded, and it is a question of did, you know, Flores kind of get that early jump on everybody, which is tough because he's been in the league for a while, but still, then things kind of deteriorated as people figured out how to beat him, or was it just a matter of deterioration of players and whatnot, and it just got to be a point of no return where it's like, I just, I can't run this, it's not good enough. I don't know. But then we've got the Broncos at 21, Raiders at 20, New Orleans Saints are sitting at 19, Colts at 18, Seahawks at 17. Jaguars at 16. Weird. We're halfway through this. I haven't seen the Packers yet. Bengals at 15. Rams at 14. Steelers at 13. Dolphins at 12. Eagles at 11. Browns at 10. Dallas Cowboys at 9. Packers at 8. Well, that's weird. I don't remember talking a lot about the Packers being a top 10 team in the NFL in the first year of Jordan Love's tenure with all those rookie wide receivers and everything. In fact, I could be mistaken, but I thought, and this is going to take some brain power here. Let me think about this. I thought that 24 was a bigger number than 8, and that 8 was kind of good and 24 was kind of bad. But that's not right, because we talked about this prior to the season. We had these conversations, and we agreed the Packers are going to be really bad. They were going to be the worst team in the NFC North. The Vikings would be better. The Lions and the Bears, they would all be better than the Packers. It was like a guarantee. We knew this for a fact. So I don't understand why the Packers would be eighth. Is it Are the Vikings and Lions and the Bears all higher than eight? Or I'm so confused. Well, anyways, maybe somebody can clear that up for me. It says, NFC North fans will never forget those two months where it appeared the Packers didn't have a decade-plus answer at quarterback. The Pack could have missed the playoffs after their 6-2 finish, and it still would have been an excellent campaign. Instead, they snuck in, ambushed the Cowboys, put the fear of God into the 49ers. At the center of it all was Jordan Love, who started to look like an MVP candidate in November and December as he completed 70% of his passes and posted an 18-to-1 touchdown-to-interception ratio over his final eight starts. Although Love lacks Brett Favre and Aaron Rodgers' arm strength, he appears to be born a playmaker, one who does not need to set his feet. Paired with the most underrated coach in football, Matt LaFleur, Love looks ready to do something special over the next 10 to 15 years. You guys need me to read that again? Can you hear me back there? You freaking loser Bear fans. Did you hear me? Vikings fans, you catch that? Lions fans, you get that? Yeah, I know you rank higher. I get it. I'm just wondering if you, if you heard it. Did you hear the part where you're all screwed? Did you catch that or should I read that again? Because you're screwed. You're all done. Oh, we got farther than you. We're, we're the Lions. We got far. You lost to the Bears. You played garbage and barely beat them, and then you got spanked by the team that we almost beat. You are not better than us down the stretch. 
You got lucky that you didn't play the Packers because they would have spanked you. Even on a bad day, they would have embarrassed you. You're screwed. Ask Amon Ross St. Brown if you don't believe me. He'll tell you. He said he doesn't want to play the Packers in the playoffs, and he was right. At seven is the Buccaneers. I know it's based on draft order, or presume it is, so I won't complain about it, but still, Packers are better. At six, the Houston Texans. At five, the Buffalo Bills. Four, Detroit Lions. Again, Packers are better. Three, Baltimore. Two, San Francisco. And one, the Kansas City Chiefs. But anyways, why don't we take our final break? We'll come back and um, we'll do some calls. They're kind of trickling a little bit more than usual, so let's put them to use. Take a break. We'll be right back. So I still don't have a ton of information on what's going on with the shooting. It sounds like uh, around 10 people were shot. One of them confirmed dead, at least as of right now. Um, It looks like there were multiple shooters. Um, I saw one of them being taken away in handcuffs. I don't know if it's the same one or not. I don't think so. He was trying to run away and some fans were able to tackle him. It it seems to me, I I heard the live... uh, footage it, it sounds to me like two people maybe more got involved in an argument and started shooting at each other and probably a ton of people got caught in the crossfire so this is this is pretty common i think when most people see mass shooting they tend to think there's one psychopath with a rifle going around shooting innocent people and i think a lot of times especially when you hear about mall shootings and stuff like that big gatherings you get morons that are uh fake tough guys that back in the day used to turn into a fist fight now people pull guns and start shooting aimlessly into crowds Again, I don't know that. That just seems to be the situation as best as I can tell, especially when you have multiple people. That would be my guess, I guess. But anyways, I said I would bring you that update as best as I could, and that's all I got. Not that you need it, but why don't we uh, kick it over to the calls real quick. Um, I'm not done with Packernet After Dark, but as I said, the calls are kind of slowing down a little bit. If we get a bunch, we'll do a Packernet After Dark. Otherwise, it might just start being sort of, you know, the third portion of the show will be some of the calls. We'll see how uh, many or few we get. Ryan, what's up? Kyle from Madison. What's up? Hey, just listening to After Dark this morning here, making some coffee. Um, interesting discussion about Love versus Stroud. Um, I, I guess I'm not super interested in that. I think they're both going to be very good. They already ought to have been yeah, very good. Yeah, that be my guess, too. Probably a horse apiece there. Time will tell. I mean, I think both franchises are probably pretty happy with their quarterback position. But something you said kind of got me thinking. Uh, and you had said that you, and I know you admittedly always lean on the side of like the unbeliever skeptic when it comes to like, in this case, is Jordan Love going to be good? And, right. you, and I, so I understand that about you. Um, I do think though, you had said like, what if the first half of the season is the real love and the second half is the fake love? And I don't know, man. I just, to me, that's like kind of taking it a little too far. Like not to say love isn't going to have down games. He certainly is. And I'm not necessarily saying we're just going to take his second half of the season and multiply it by two. And that's going to be his starting, you know, stat line floor for next year. But it just would seem I don't I don't understand the logic there because to me coming out and struggling as a first year starter and then you know your GM has built this team basically on offense with a lot of youth but then he anchored it in two 
really veteran, really quality players in Jones and Bakhtiari. And then you lose them. <laughs> and everything kind of goes to crap, and the offensive line play goes to crap, and then the quarterback gets the yips, and it just, we all will kind of watch what happened there. Um, and the receivers, I mean, just there was a lot going on. So for me, for him to just suddenly forget how to play football and go back to, like, the first eight weeks of the season, I mean, I guess it's possible, but it just seems like kind of a irrational fear. Um because I do think, like, we watched him learn how to play with the cards he was dealt, and I think he did a great job with that. Um, you know, I mean, he's still young and he's going to make mistakes. Um, but I, I don't see him regressing to the point of his first, you know, moments as a starter. I just don't think that's uh, – why would that happen, I guess, is my question. Like, why, why would he just forget everything he learned the second half of the season – and just go back to that because everything we've seen him do is the opposite of that. Like he might screw something up the first time, but then typically if he sees it again or he experiences a team as an opponent again, he makes adjustments. So anyway, what's your thoughts? Well, uh, let's start with the fact that if you had to pick, let's say one of them is true. He's either going to be mostly, I mean, not exactly. I mean, I, I, I don't think it would make sense to say he's never going to have a good game ever. And what we saw in the first half is all we're ever going to see. You know, that's not really what I meant, just in terms of is is that more or less the Jordan Love we're going to get compared to the second half? Because I don't think either are realistic. But if I had to pick, I'd go with the second, just because there is that little narrative there of, you know, you learn over time. But... We're still dealing with an incredibly small sample size. I know it's an entire season, but it's a very small sample size. And to make matters worse, it was so good in the second half, it was to be somewhat unbelievable. And that's that's where like I, I went to, you know, people got mad at me because I, I went out of my way to say, you know, Jordan Love wasn't just good. Jordan Love wasn't just like Rogers good. He was peak Rogers good. He was as good as Rogers at his best. People get all mad because they get all defensive of Rodgers, but that's just the reality. But the flip side of that is that's why it's all so unbelievable. So let me do this as a thought exercise. Let's assume that what we saw in the second half is not how good Jordan Love is going to be and that there is going to be a coming back down period. Coming back down to what? I'm not talking about forgetting anything. It's It's not about forgetting. It's about understanding how good he actually is. He had an 18 to 1 touchdown to interception ratio. He's not going to maintain that. So what will his touchdown-to-interception ratio be? You know, his completion percentage was through the roof down the stretch. So, you know, I mean, we could say it'll probably be somewhere in... I think most people can say, okay, well, it'll, it'll settle somewhere in between, but closer to the, the good side. Well, okay, that's a theory, but we don't know. Time and 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 time again, I have given examples of people that are very, very, very good for a short period of time, and then they regress. The question of why would that happen, I don't know. How many times do I have to talk about the 2018 Chicago Bears? Prince of Mukamura. Should we have just assumed that that's just how good he is? And I understand, like, the timeline. We look at it and just say something clicked. And, and I, I, again, I hope that that's the reality. But, you know, I, 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 as I'm sure everyone is well aware, correlation and causation, right? You have two things happening. You have him getting better, and then you have the season progressing at the same time. So you look at it and you say, okay, the season got later, and he got better, Therefore, he got better because the season got, in other words, you know, he got better as he got more seasoned. But we don't know that that's the reality. So again, I, I will grant you that 
he obviously showed some some talent, which he always had that talent. Even when he wasn't playing well, he showcased that talent. It just came down to consistency. So he was really inconsistent early. Then he was very consistent later. I don't know what he's going to be from week one through week 18 next year. You know, I'm trying to find examples. Obviously, there's not a ton of them because generally if you play really well, you're, you're it's because you're a good football player. There aren't a ton of examples of whatever. But just, just let's just use Lamar Jackson as an example. Now, his first year was terrible. His second year, he had a 90 PFF grade. That's massive growth. Why would you expect him to regress? Well, he did in 2020. It went from a 90 down to a 79. And then it happened again from a 79 down to a 70. And then it went back up. But I mean, do, does that make sense in terms of like why that would happen as he's getting more experienced? He's becoming less good at football. No, it doesn't make sense, but it's happening. Maybe it's because that 90 was just kind of a fluke. It was just everything falling into place. It was the 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 opponents and just his health and the play callers and the play calling and the players around him and the energy in the locker room and all these things came together to create this perfect cocktail of being an elite an elite quarterback. And he didn't have that the next year and he had even less of it the year after that. But then it came back and da 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 da. But you don't know. I mean, can you explain Ryan Tannehill? I mean, we kind of knew what he was for a long time. Then he goes to Tennessee, becomes one of the best quarterbacks in football, and then just isn't good anymore. I mean, why why isn't Deshaun Watson good at football anymore? I don't understand that one. What about, like, Baker Mayfield? By the way, I'm so tired of it. Like, show me a guy that went somewhere else and, like, became, like, really good. And it's like, well, Baker Mayfield. Baker Mayfield was better in Cleveland. This idea that he's been this terrible quarterback is nonsense. He had an 83 grade as a rookie. 75 in 2019, and then 86 in 2020. Then it fell off, his last year in Cleveland, down to a 63, then a 50, then a 77. But anyways, aside from all that, why would he go from being really good his first three years to falling off in Cleveland, and then in 2022 becoming one of the worst quarterbacks in football? I, I, don't, I don't exactly know. I don't have a very easy and concise answer for why that happened. It could be the team, it could be the players it could be the coaches it could be his home life could be the contract i mean what happened why would rashawn gary get worse once he gets paid i don't know but it happened and jordan loves about to get a contract do we know that that's not going to hurt so listen and, and again to be clear i'm not saying i'm expecting it i'm just refusing to say that i know that what we saw from week nine through the end of the season is what he's going to be for the rest of his career it's a very small sample size that's about eight games I'm talking about that he actually played really well, um, and that's it. So I hope we see more of that. I'm expecting to see less of it in terms of like in that span being as good as he was. I don't really expect that to continue, but I hope it doesn't fall off too much. But I, I, and it's not even, I don't even necessarily know that it's pessimism so much as it's just seeing everything as kind of random. Everything's just the roll of the dice. I mean, this is how the dice fell in 2023. I don't know how they're going to fall in 2024. I just see it as somewhat of a random event. And I think, you know, if you stare at PFF grades enough, you just see these weird arcs and these weird curves going up and down and peaks and valleys and relatively inexplicable. So I guess that's my revised stance or whatever. Hey, Kyle from Madison. Now I'm I'm listening to your uh, year in review podcast here and you're going through your just how much you loathe Romo as a commentator oh. in the Super Bowl and it's awful first of all it's just funny <laughs> but I um I tend to agree now I actually liked uh 
Romo's analysis of some things going on, and I mentioned that in my calls a couple days ago. I just thought he was giving some good insight into some things. He probably is. I don't even hear it, though, because he sounds like such a mumbling buffoon. But he has the same problem that Collinsworth has, that a lot of these guys have, and that's they just love the sound of their own voice way too much. And... I, don't know. I mean, it just sounds to me like he knows he's supposed to say something, but he doesn't know what to say. He, he's just, he just, it's just filler words that are just unnecessary. It's like, just do me a favor and shut up. Stop talking. You, 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 you add nothing. I would rather just watch this game in silence. You're not helping anything. It feels like another lifetime ago, but I used to do some weddings. I would do uh, videography for weddings. And, which don't recommend it. Talk about a thankless job that you just can't please everybody, no matter what you do. Uh, but one of the things is, when you're doing wedding videos, is you might be running five cameras or something, and the temptation is to show off all the camera angles during the you know, wedding ceremony and like edit yourself back and forth and get all the shots. And really, the move I found that works the best is to just not be afraid to hold the shot on the moment because ultimately it's somebody's wedding. You don't need to get super fancy. Like it already is a pretty amazing thing. Just capture it. And I feel like a lot of these epic NFL games, like some are all Madden used to do this. They do so good at it because they just shut up. I guess I know Madden would go on and on sometimes, but like you watch some of those old highlights and he will go several minutes without talking. Yeah. And they just let it unfold in front of you instead of somebody making some stupid joke in the right. middle of like a fourth down and two play um, instead of like just letting us have the moment. Right. And that, that is another thing when they're when they're carrying on about something else like, dude, I'm I'm focused on the play right ha- right in front of me right now. That's what I'm trying to focus on. I don't need you to elaborate on what happened in the last play. I don't need you to continue on goofing around and joking, like either comment on what's happening or just be quiet. Like there's got to be some stupid comment that they're still talking about right, when right, right, the, right. the play clock's down to 30 seconds or, or three seconds on a pivotal play, and they're still talking about some stupid thing that doesn't make any difference. Um, as far as who's good, like I'm with you. I I like Aikman and Buck. I guess I'm in the minority there. I don't really get it. I just think they do a good job. I've actually liked watching Greg Olson, and obviously I think Kevin Harlan needs more. He needs more airtime. I think he's really a great voice, but yeah, I've, I've liked Greg Olson this year. It's probably uh, second out of the eighth and buck pairing, but Romo's okay. He just needs to stop rambling, and everybody just needs to shut up 30 seconds at a time. That's my critique. All right, wait. Yeah, they, in, in, I think I've come to appreciate guys a lot more. Um, it, it's my, my whole issue with Aikman was the bias. He's just so biased against the Packers all the time, and it got to be annoying. And, and I think every fan base feels as though they're, you know, not being treated right by the announcers. But listening to Romo has helped me to appreciate all these other guys, just in terms of their ability to just kind of be background noise, you know? And they've all, you know, if they've been doing it a long time, they kind of become iconic voices. I really don't know who's who very often. I couldn't tell you if I was listening to Olsen or whatever, but... And I guess I just don't pay enough attention to notice unless it's, you know, Aikman or in the case of Romo because he was driving me freaking crazy. But yeah, I, 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 I overall would like it if we could just 
get better people that made it. Uh, I don't know. I guess at this point, I just don't care anymore. Just don't don't be Romo. That's it. That's my only request. I don't even care. You can be biased and just talk a bunch of nonsense if you want. Just don't be Romo. Hey, Ryan, it's Craig from Indiana. Hey. Uh, thank you for posting the Marshawn Lynch um, video from yeah. Vegas. It was hilarious. Um, just his delivery of the way he was walking. It was, <laughs> it was awesome. Um, he was the reason why we, uh, my grandson wanted to watch uh, Stars on Mars, which was a stupid show, um, a reality show, but Marshawn was going to be on it, and he didn't disappoint. Again, he was very entertaining on that show as well. Uh, so becoming a bigger fan of his. Um, also, uh, well, speaking of shows, since we're in the lull of uh, football season, I, I couldn't remember if you've uh, watched Louder Milk. It's on Netflix. It was, I think, an FX show, but Netflix just recently got it, so it's often kind of predominant on their uh, their banners and stuff. It was actually filmed in, like, I think the first season was, like, 2017, and they did, uh, I think, three seasons. I watched them all. Uh, it actually uh, features my favorite stand-up comic, which is uh, Brian Regan. Uh, what's interesting is Brian Regan is very, very clean in his stand-up comedy routine, but... Uh, in this role that he plays on Louder Milk, uh, definitely uh, is as clean, dropping the F-bombs quite a bit. But uh, anyway, it's, um, I think it's a good show, very uh, funny, very well-written. Um, so something to think about in the off-season. Sure. Um, as far as, uh, let's talk a little draft. Last year, I know there were some guys coming out of the draft that you really, really liked, like Bijan, right? And then yeah. there were some guys who you didn't seem to be as high on like Brian Branch. Mm -hmm. um, and I just wondered, uh, you could kind of pick how deep you want to go, but, you know, reflecting back now after their rookie seasons, w which of those guys who you loved stand out or maybe disappointed, which of the guys who you had some concerns about or thought were overhyped actually ended up delivering. Um, so you can go as, like I said, as far on that as, as you want, but I thought it might be interesting to kind of reflect back on, last year's draft before we get into this year's. All right. Keep up the good work, bud. Take care. Bye. Yeah, that's that's actually a really good question. It'll probably be better to go more in-depth on that on a full podcast. I'll try to remember that for um, tomorrow. I'm trying to – let me just pick out a couple here as we go through because I haven't even really looked to see how the rookies did. Like I, I know Bijan started off hot, but I, I couldn't tell you aside from that um, – I, I do remember like certain guys being real big. I, I didn't have an opinion, but like uh, Rasheed Rice, I think a lot of people were really high on. He had the second highest rookie receiving grade. Um, I think Puka Nakua, but I, I'm, I'm struggling to remember. Um, I know I was really big on Sam Laporta, and it looks like Sam Laporta was the best tight end of the uh, of the draft this year. 77 grade, 82 receiving grade. Uh, running backs. I'm just kind of going position by position here. It actually looks like Bijan was 10th as far as his rushing grade goes, maybe even lower overall. Yeah, 12th overall. He was, uh, let's see, 969 yards, 4.5 yards per carry, four touchdowns, four fumbles, 69 PFF grade, 37.8 fumble grade, 35.5 run blocking grade. Um, and as a receiver, just a 61.5. So 
So, and his pass blocking grade was a 56. So, Bijan, I mean, you know, and he could obviously still turn that around and can be, become whatever, but um, that one did not materialize quite to the degree that I thought it would, and that it seemed it was going to early in the year. But yeah, that'll be a good kind of like year in review part two rookie edition. It'll kind of help us to move into, um, I want to look at Brian Branch actually really quick because I know he was doing real well. Um, I don't know how it ended, but I'm curious about that because it's it's good to kind of remember these things as you move forward. So Branch was actually a corner, not a safety, but he did did pan out really well. Um, Witherspoon, who was my favorite corner, I really liked that guy. He ended up being the top corner. Jordan Battle, I mentioned before, um, was seen by a lot of people as this elite top five, top ten prospect. Um, and he just completely fell off the map. I mean, that was really early in the process, and he fell off. He had a great year in Cincinnati, just doing corners and safeties because you kind of could lump them together since Branch, I think, was mostly seen as a safety. Um, Chamari Connor, I don't know who that is, Kansas City, and then Brian Branch was after that. So the second highest graded corner would have been the third safety, I guess, if he was a safety. So that one did pan out. Now, he was, a, he was always a good tackler. That was kind of his thing. But even in coverage, uh, he graded out fairly well, 77.7. So good year for Brian Branch. Was he a slot guy? Is that what they did with him? Uh, yeah, so they put him in the slot, which not not giving myself an out, I, I just I didn't get it as far as like he, he wasn't a very physical football player, which everybody got annoyed with me when I said that. Um, but, I mean, he's, he's a good fundamental tackler, but there's a difference between being a really good fundamental tackler and being a guy that is aggressive and attacks the football. And I just thought Brian Branch was way too passive. This is largely him as a safety. As a slot corner, I, I don't know. I, I didn't really consider that. And I didn't really think about considering it because I'm like, I don't know. He's a guy that tackles really well, I guess. That's about all I know about him. But he had a pretty good year. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I'll, I'll dig a little bit more into that maybe tomorrow or something. But I'll tell you what, why don't we leave it at that for now? Please keep the calls coming in. Like I said, if we get a bunch of them, then we'll do a pack night after dark. Otherwise, uh, I'll just keep plucking them out at the end of these episodes. So have a good rest of your day. I will talk to you tonight, tomorrow, whatever. Have a good one. Bye-bye.